Bringing Mars to Earth. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. NASA's Perseverance rover is sending back some of the clearest and most dramatic images of the Martian surface ever. It landed earlier this year and since then has been beaming back detailed panoramics, up-close images, even sound and video of one of our closest celestial neighbors. We wanted to bring these images to our listeners, so last month we hosted an event at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts here in Orlando. It was called Bringing Mars to Earth and aimed to show off these great images and videos of the planet and a look at what scientists hope to uncover when Percy starts beaming back science data. This week, we've got a portion of that event here for you on this show. So join me and my panel of experts as we bring Mars to Earth. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. For our event, Bringing Mars to Earth, a panel of expert scientists and engineers joined me at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts, University of Central Florida planetary scientist Addie Dove, Seminole State College planetarium director Derek Demeter, and integration engineer and science communicator Joan Melendez-Meisner. I'll post a link to the images so you can follow along on our website. It's at wmfe.org slash yet, and a video of the whole program will be posted there too. But for now, enjoy this portion of our conversation, Bringing Mars to Earth, live from the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts. Yeah, so everybody can meet Percy. Uh, We're going to call it Percy, right? Because I can't spell yeah. perseverance. I say perseverance. Perseverance. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, perseverance, or Percy, uh, as we, we like to give nicknames, even to the rovers that we give names, um, is a super awesome, really, really advanced uh, rover that is currently operating on Mars. And you can see here that it has this amazing suite of instruments. Um, and I'm glad they're all listed here because I have trouble remembering all of their names because there's several of them and they're really awesome. Um, but it's got this whole suite of instruments that's really helping us study the surface of Mars um, as it is now and helping us try to understand and unlock some of the secrets of its past. Uh, and it had some other payloads on board that aren't visible here that we'll talk about, too. For sure. Derek, I want to I switch it over to you. How does this differ from the other rovers on Mars? We've probably heard of Spirit and Opportunity and Curiosity, but what makes Perseverance Don't different? Don't forget little Sojourner, too. And Sojourner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if you look at Perseverance just superficially, you'll see that it looks a lot like Curiosity, but it has some major upgrades to the cameras and sensors and some of the digging tools and, and of course, the, what I'm excited about, the area where it's going to actually store some samples. Um, so those are some of the big things that, are, that make and stand out this particular rover compared to the others. And it's wheels. And it's wheels, that's right. Yeah, it has some really nice wheels. That's right. Joan, tell us about the wheels. Yeah, the wheels, a um, little bit different than Curiosity, but the reason we were able to upgrade these wheels is because we learned from Curiosity. We saw that the Curiosity wheels would break down because of the terrain on Mars, so the NASA JPL engineers upgraded the wheels, made them a little bit more robust, made them bigger, um, and they also have a thicker uh, aluminum so they can go longer and they can um, you know, explore the area that it specifically landed in because it's tougher terrain than other or, or other rovers. Addie, let's talk about the science objectives of this rover. Why did we send this bugger to Mars in the first place? 
I don't know if it appreciates being called that. I'm sorry. Um, so, so why do we send any of our rovers to Mars? We have this uh, sort of goal, NASA and, and other organizations have this goal of really understanding um, the history of Mars, but also the history of life on Mars and really looking for signs of life. So there's some mottos that are like, follow the water. Um, and we send different rovers and different landers with instruments on them that can look for things like water. They can look at the rocks and see how they've been processed throughout the history of Mars. Um, and th- this this uh, rover has some really cool instruments that are going to be shooting lasers and taking samples and analyzing them with spectrometers to look at the composition and look for signs of organic materials and other things like that. Why is that important to find out? Um, because we have this question as humans, I think, right? Like, where did we come from and are there more other living things out there than just on Earth? Um, and so it's, it's a, trying to understand a little bit about where we came from, about the history of life elsewhere, um, but also just understanding could life have existed there and what changed over time um, and how can we understand how that might af- tell us about life here on Earth. Launching a mission to Mars is no easy feat. Percy launched last July on United Launch Alliance's Atlas V rocket. It was one of three missions to launch to the Red Planet last year. Joan, I want to bring you into the conversation because you are our resident expert as the engineer. Um, This sounds like an extremely complicated task to send a mission to another planet. What goes into planning this? I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. It definitely is rocket science. It, it, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes with launching rockets. Um, you know, there's, especially a mission like this, you have to plan years in advance. Um, you know, July was specifically chosen because it was at a point in time where Mars and Earth were closest to each other. And so, therefore, the, the journey to Mars was less than it would be at any other point in time. So, when you're, when you're thinking about these missions, um, like I mentioned, it takes several years of planning. It takes several um, testing as an integration engineer myself, I work for the launch services program at NASA, and our mission is to launch these spacecraft to, um, you know, explore other planets, whether it's our own or um, in, our, in our universe. And so, um, you know, our our main mission is to start from the very beginning of of getting, you know, ULA on contract all the way up to the launch itself. And so, you know, it takes about anywhere between four to six years to launch this. And um, it takes several thousands of engineers, um, business analysts, like there's so many people that are involved that touch um, this specific mission. And the other element that was different was this mission launched during COVID, during the pandemic. So a lot of people were out there prior to the vaccine. So a lot of people were traveling to test a lot of the equipment that we were being used to launch the rocket. So we were going to the launch pad. We are going to different contractors to test, um, you know, shock testing, environmental testing to ensure that the Percy on the uh, inside the fairing inside the rocket would survive the elements of the launch itself before it actually goes to Mars. And so, you know, a lot of these people were, like I mentioned, they were traveling during COVID and then, um, you know, they had to social distance and do all this stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of testing involved as an an integration engineer. It's really neat because you get to be involved with, like I said, the the, the business side of putting everything together, you get to work with all different types of engineers, whether it's electrical, mechanical. Um, so you're kind of like the jack of all trades and you need to know every single um, element of the mission because it's yours. And so um, it's just really neat to be able to be involved with the business side, the technical side, and then also be involved with the testing side. As I mentioned,
mentioned, um, you know, one of the main things that we do is uh, when we launch the rockets, we need to make sure that that spacecraft or Percy ejects from the rocket itself. So we're very involved with the testing of that payload adapter. So once it gets to its uh, location in space, um, the fairing opens and Percy ejects from the payload ejector or for the payload adapter itself. So it's really neat to be involved with the space hardware. And as a as a younger engineer, it's just really neat to be able to experience all of that. We should mention it launched right from our backyard, right? This was from Cape Canaveral. This was, yeah. Uh, Derek, uh, there are Mars launches only every few years, two years. Um, Explain to us why that happens. And when we launch something to Mars, we don't look for Mars in the sky and then shoot at it, right? We We have to figure out where Mars is going to be and aim in that direction, right? Tell me the complicated math that happens but well, simplify it for me, please. Well, Joan talked a little bit about this earlier, that essentially we have every two years or so to really launch something to Mars because the distance between Mars and the Earth is at its minimum. So, uh, you know, we're talking, you know, this past year we had what's called the Mars opposition, essentially where Earth and Mars are essentially roughly about, could vary between 50 to 70 million miles or so. It does vary from time to time because our orbits aren't completely circular and, and so on. And uh, what we want to do is we actually want to launch this thing a few months prior to that event because it, what we'll do is we'll launch it and it'll be able to kind of fall into that you know, trajectory that will make its way to Mars. So usually when we want to launch something, we want to wait for that window of opportunity. In fact, actually when it launched... I think it only had a few more days left in the launch window. Otherwise, we'd have to wait a whole another couple of years. So that was definitely, you know, finger-biting, uh, you know, oh, my goodness, is this going to happen? Because, uh, you know, but thankfully it did, and it was a spectacular launch. I was going to say, especially with Florida weather. Yes, you know, you can, July. You can, you can <laughs> test and you can analyze everything, but then Florida weather just, you know, destroys everything because it rains that day or the terrain is different. And that has happened for Mars missions, right? There have been missions that have been delayed because of technical issues and they've had to wait two more years before they launch right yes right. lots of times yeah it's yeah the phoenix mission yeah. uh the, the one of our, the last time it was delayed because of an instrument issue uh, and it, it had to wait a year and a half two years to launch so well there were a lot of missions that took advantage of this of this window and perseverance wasn't the first rover to make it to mars the united arab emirates hope orbiter reached Mars back on February 9th. It was the first one to reach there. Uh, It's the first interplanetary mission for the Young Space Agency and sent back this stunning image. Uh, This is the first image from its onboard camera. Addie, what are we looking at here? It's Mars. <laughs> um, <laughs> are you guys following along? Did you, get, did you guess that that was Mars? Did you think <laughs> that, that was down. coming? Uh, so this is, yeah, this is an amazing picture. UAE has this small uh, or new space program, and they, they worked with a, um, a lot of folks here in the U.S. To, d- to build the instruments. But one of the instruments is a camera. Um, and this orbiter, so it's an orbiter. It's staying in orbit around Mars. And it's a little bit further out, so it can actually see the whole disk of Mars for a lot of its mission. Um, a lot of our other orbiters, are close in so they can zoom in on the surface and see uh, close-up views. But this one's giving us these really awesome full disk images. Um, And you can see here a a chain of volcanoes and then up in the sort of top right there's actually Valles Marineris is the big canyon system on Mars and it's just being obscured a little bit by some clouds. And you can see the sort of haze on the edges of the uh, of the picture is Mars atmosphere. I didn't think Mars had an atmosphere. It barely does, okay. but it's enough to show up in pictures like this. Yeah, it's got a little teeny tiny atmosphere. 
So th this might be a dumb question, but that's what I'm paid to do is ask dumb questions. What's the difference between the Hope Orbiter mm -hmm. and something like a rover on Mars? One is orbiting. Uh, so it's, it's going around the planet. It's staying in space, staying around the planet. So like all of our satellites that are in orbit around Earth, right, versus a rover is, goes down to the surface. And there's differences between landers and rovers. So a lander is usually just one that lands and is stationary. And then the rover can usually drive around. Um, and so Percy was just a rover system. Um, we have several other uh, spacecraft, though, that are in orbit. The, NASA has several other spacecraft in orbit around Mars right now that relay data back from Perseverance. Mm -hmm. Derek, what can we learn from a mission like the Hope Orbiter? What, what, what can scientists expect to get so, back? Uh, yeah, so what Addy mentioned about these other missions, so one of the things it's going to be looking at is, speaking of the atmosphere, very little atmosphere, and we actually think that a long time ago, Mars was much more Earth-like. It had a lot of oxygen in the atmosphere. That's what, you know, essentially the red, the red planet is called the red planet because of the oxidation. The rust, basically Mars is a giant rusty nail uh, uh, because of that, of that oxygen in the, uh, in a of the soil. And uh, another thing we've discovered is I'm sure some of you have heard of auroras, like Aurora Borealis and Aurora Australis, the northern southern lights. Those are caused by solar radiation hitting the Earth's magnetic field. Well, we actually, with a mission called MAVEN, which is another orbiter that's actually uh, studying the atmosphere of Mars, has found out that this, the sun's radiation is actually creating what's called proton auroras. They're actually stripping away the atmosphere of Mars. And HOPE is hoping, hoping, there we go, HOPE is hoping to look for more signs of why Mars is losing its atmosphere, how that affected the early Mars, and that will actually join up with conditions like and prove that, well, Mars was a, a wetter planet. It could possibly have the conditions for life. So in reality, hope is going to help us figure out that in conjunction to perseverance being on the surface. Addy, there was hope, there's perseverance, and... The Chinese Space Agency just landed a, its lander yeah. this week. Tell us a bit about that mission. Yeah, so the, the Chinese mission uh, has both an orbiter and a lander slash rover system. Um, so this is was a really ambitious mission. Um, it's actually China's first mission to Mars, and it was success, ex successfully went into orbit uh, a little bit later than the other two. Um, I forget which what day it was. It was also in, like, February, yeah, though. February, <laughs> around that time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then just about a week ago, the lander landed on the surface. It's, it's in Utopia Planitia, which you can't see on this picture, actually, sort of on the other side of the planet. Um, but that's where we actually landed the Viking 2 lander back in the 1970s. Um, and it's also where the Utopia Planitia shipyards are, if you're a Star Trek fan. <laughs> I think we might have a few Star Trek fans out there. Huh? Uh, and so, yeah, so, um, so it, it has a little lander. It landed about a week ago, and then the rover drove off uh, onto the surface a few days ago, and we just got those pictures back yesterday or today. Um, and that rover is much, much smaller than Perseverance, uh, but it's also studying a little bit about the surface of Mars. We think that there's probably a subsurface ice in that area, so it's a really interesting potential landing site for future missions as well. Our conversation about Perseverance, recorded live at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts in Orlando, Florida, continues after the break here on WMFE, America's Space Station. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. I'm Brendan Byrne. Let's jump back into our conversation about Mars with University of Central Florida planetary scientist Addie Dove, Seminole State College planetarium director Derek Demeter, and integration engineer and science communicator Joan Melendez-Meisner. 
These are all cool missions, but we're here to talk about Percy. Okay, right? let's bring it back. Uh, so NASA's Perseverance rover made its landing on February 18th. Mission planners called it the seven minutes of terror. Um, Joan, that sounds absolutely frightening. Why do we call it that? It is frightening. <laughs> no, so the seven minutes of terror is what they call the entry descent um, phase, and that's the point where um, the per- Percy enters the Martian atmosphere, and it takes about seven minutes to land on the red planet. And at that point, it's called the seven minutes of terror because it's doing it all autonomously. It's doing it all by itself. The delay in communication between Mars and Earth is about 12 minutes. So um, by the time it lands the NASA JPL engineers would not have known that it landed for, you know, several minutes. And so, therefore, they've worked their entire lives, most of them working on, you know, curio- uh, sorry, on Perseverance, and they can't really uh, tell whether it's landed. And this is the first leg of the mission. So if it doesn't land and something happens, then that's the end of Perseverance. And that's, um, you know, it's extremely terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, they want to make sure that the mission successfully goes up to plan. And so, therefore, this is the very first time, this is the very first leg of the mission is to land on the red planet. So walk us through what actually happens, because we're, we're looking at this image here. It looks kind of crazy, but Perseverance, this is, this is an illustration. That's and, a sky crane. And Perseverance is attached to a rocket-powered crane, which lowers it onto the surface of Mars, right? Is that not insane? Yeah, so it's pretty neat because, you know, when it's entering the Martian atmosphere, it's going, you know, extremely fast. And so at one point, you have to slow it down for it to not crash onto the red planet. And so therefore, um, they use the sky crane. Once it goes into the Martian atmosphere, there's several um, points in it. Um, I think at one point, the heat shield breaks off in order for Percy's to survive. And therefore, the sky crane, which has about, I think it was like seven or eight um, rocket engine or the, you know, like around it. Just a few. Yeah, just Just a few. few. few, um, For it to essentially slow down. And um, the neat thing about this is that, um, you know, its its intention is to just land Percy on the red planet and then go off and um, crash somewhere else because the life of that specific sky crane is done. So once it um, goes to a specific... um, portion of that of the seven minutes of heaven uh the sky crane comes out of the descent and of the descent element and therefore it takes it to um where percy's gonna be landing which is the yizero yizero crater yeah and so i just learned how to say it correctly i'm gonna i keep saying jezero i I just keep saying jezero i'm like i don't know (laughs) yizero crater um and so therefore the cool thing about this though is uh we also tested really uh new technology i believe uh it's called relative navigation and so the once um, you know Percy gets to a certain point the parachute deploys that parachute is taking pictures real real time images and telling Percy specifically where it's going to be landing which is really neat and again all this is happening autonomously the NASA JPL engineers do not cannot control it at this point and that's again part of that seven minutes of terror and so therefore you know it's telling Percy where it's supposed to land and then once it figures out where it's going to be landing um, you know the sky crane lets it loose and uh, cables bring it down and um, once Percy, the wheels um, can sense that it's on the Martian uh, surface, therefore the cables get cut, and then the sky crane goes off to land somewhere else and essentially crash. That's so impressive that it landed safely. Let's talk about uh, a bit about Percy's new home, which is Yezero Crater, right, Derek? Yes, is that how you say Yezero Crater? Derek, what do we know about Yezero Crater? Why is Perseverance hanging out in this particular spot on Mars? Well, the, the primary mission of, of Perseverance is to look for signs of ancient life. And Yezero Crater actually was thought to be an ancient lake 
So uh, if you look up towards the top left, you can see almost kind of like a snaky type windiness. And we think that that is, or we've, we've been able to do analysis on it, that there is an ancient river that would have came down and washed a bunch of deposits down into the uh, lake that you see here. So Yezero Crater is this home to this ancient lake that has been deposited minerals and all these things that are necessary for potential development of life. So It's as big as Lake Tahoe, right? Yeah, it's about as big as Lake Tahoe. So I have, been to, I have, Lake to, Tahoe, I have to stop you right there. So there was water on Mars, right? Yes. That's why they're so interested in this part. Yeah, and, and of course, Curiosity helped us find out that there was, in fact, uh, water present on Mars because of clay deposits, beach erosion, things like that. This, however, has the potential of being a place where it could have been teeming with life. Yeah, there's always a really hard line to find between sites that are really interesting on places you want to go. So if we're going to the moon, if we're going to Mars, there's always sites that like the scientists want to study the most interesting sites, but it turns out those are usually like the dangerous yeah, ones the to most land dangerous. in oh, yeah. <laughs> because they're going to be really rough terrain or like at the edge of a crater. Um, so Yezero was a really interesting uh, trade space they figured out just to say, okay, we're going to land in this place. It's got a pretty nice flat region and they landed, you can see up in that top left because it's really near this delta region where they're a lot of the action might have happened and a lot of those really interesting deposits that we've been able to tell from orbital images, there's really interesting uh, deposits there that we can study. So why do we think there is going to be signs of life in this river delta? Why is this where scientists want to explore, despite how dangerous it might be to get there? Yeah, so they're, they landed sort of down at the bottom of the delta, and they're going to be slowly driving up into it. And there's different types of rocks there. So there's, like, um, rocks that have different types of signs of different water processing. Um, so we already mentioned that probably was filled at some point and was a lake. Um, but if you have flowing water, um, it will modify rocks. It will create deposits of rocks. Um, and we, we see a lot of that sort of water metamorphosis happening in Florida. Um, and it, it modifies the things that are left there. And you you're left with deposits, um, and if there was there was life, additionally, you can get deposits of things that are only made by biology, for instance. We're not probably going to find fossils, unfortunately. Sorry. Um, no but giant say, mammoth never bones. Say never. never say never. <laughs> Just send Derek up there. Yeah, exactly. He'd find them. Um, but we will find signs of, like, things that have been processed by life life organisms. Um, and, and it's hard to sort of see that from the surface. So we have different instruments that can drill down a little bit, scoop up the regolith and rocks and process it a little bit. Um, and as, as we mentioned, it's going to cache some rocks and, and dirt that are going to be put into a little pod and saved for a future mission to come and pick up those rocks and bring them back and do a Mars sample return. Mars sample return mission. Exactly. Yeah. So when you, when you say we're going to find evidence of, of other things there. What are we talking about? We're talking little fossils, little no ancient fossils. poo. So, uh, <laughs> what, what are we things, seeing? One of the things we can kind of compare it to is here on Earth we have biosignature rocks that are developed from organics like stromatolites here on Earth. So, for example, stromatolites are, are based, are built off of what's called cyanobacteria, which have photosynthesized and, and, and they're essentially their byproducts are this 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 material, this, this, this uh, encapsulated rock, if you will. And that's the kind of stuff we want to look for. Basically, life that once was there that was building material. Limestone, for example, 
uh, limestone, which is all found all throughout. If you go to some of the springs here in uh, Orlando, like Wakaiwa or uh, Kelly Park, all that lime rock was either deposits of ancient sea life or built from ancient sea life, like corals and seashells and things like that. So that's the kind of stuff we're seeing, basically uh, material that has been washed out. We call that alluvial uh, deposits, basically washed out from water that have been deposited in these areas. Joan, the scientists want to go to a place like this and explore because obviously there's really cool things for them to find, but it could be dangerous. As an engineer, when you think about the place that Percy is, how do you engineer a vehicle to sustain itself there and and to make sure that it can explore it safely? What goes into, how much of the environment goes into the design of the vehicle? A lot. Yeah, so I mean... um as I, I can't really talk as a NASA JPL engineer because they work on this for years, but the, you know, the past missions, they learn from it. Like we talked about the wheels, you know, we saw that Curiosity's wheels were broken down and they were breaking down. And so therefore, you know, you think about all of these different designs you learn from previous missions to engineer or to um, build upon to, you know, essentially have Percy last a little bit longer than the previous ones. Sorry. And so, you know, thinking about that, that's a really cool thing about being an engineer is just being able to tinker with all that stuff. You have a vision and therefore um, you ensure that before you send anything up there, you test to, um, I don't know, test forever so you can um, ensure that all of this survives when you're out there. And so therefore a lot of the NASA JPL engineers, again, they've worked on this for several years. And so therefore, you know, it just takes, it takes a lot of effort for them to go out there and, and do this. And the cool thing is, is they they have some kind of environment out in California in the desert that they can test a lot of these things. They can test the wheels. They can test, you know, um, make Percy a little bit more robust. Um, you know, this one, again, is a little bit bigger because the instruments are different than they were for a Curiosity. But, um, you know, it just takes a lot of effort and a lot of um, just design work to go through it. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. I was, and I was going to say, and, it, and they have to do everything from launch to landing, right? So you have to be able to survive launch loads, yeah. which is something you are Dynamic always nervous about, I'm sure. Loads, shock, <laughs> which is not all easy, right? It's like no. blasting off this planet is not an easy feat, yeah. right? No, no. And yeah, and that's the cool thing about um, working on the launch side of things is you, as an integration engineer, you get to work with flight dynamics. You get to work with loads. You get to work with shock because in order for it, even to get to Mars, you have to survive the launch environments of getting it off the planet. And so therefore, all of that is being tested. It's analyzed, um, you know, through computer modeling and then um, right before launching the actual rocket, it's going through like a launch campaign, and therefore you actually test all of these different environments to ensure that Percy will survive because it's extremely expensive equipment on there. So we want to make sure that it gets to Mars. Yeah, there was a story the other day about uh, James Webb Space Telescope, JWST, and that's a, t- a telescope that's going into space. It could be a really flimsy thing, and it would be fine in space, but it has to survive launch loads to get up there, uh, and then making the mirrors and all the hardware to survive that is intense. Yes, it is. That was a portion of our conversation from WMFE's Bringing Mars to Earth event, hosted May 22nd at the Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts here in downtown Orlando, Florida. You heard from University of Central Florida planetary scientist Addie Dove, Seminole State College Planetarium Director Derek Demeter, and integration engineer and science communicator Joan Melendez-Meisner. The entire conversation will be posted on our website, wmfe.org slash Are We There Yet? 
Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed and never miss an episode. You can do that on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got more space coverage online. Visit WMFE.org slash space. You can also stay connected to this show on social media. Give our Facebook page a like. Search for Are We There Yet Podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. That's at A-W-T-Y space. Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Our intern is Randy Vuxta. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>